This is episode 98 of the Church Venture Northwest podcast. We're continuing Women's Camp 2013, Theography, an Epic of Extravagant Love with Pam Teschner. This is session two from Saturday. It is such a high thing to be here. It is such a high thing um, to be here and be a part of this music, to be entering into worship of our great God, and to hear all of you raising your voices, to hear the Spirit of God singing through you is just, uh, there's no words to describe what that's like. This is only a sliver of what heaven will be, and I'm very excited about that. It'll be so cool. Oh, the deep deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me, underneath me, all around me, is the fullness of thy love. What a magnificent hymn that there's just hardly any other way to express. I am going to try to express the love of God. I am going to try to get out of the way so God can express his love to you. Let's pray. God, I am nothing. I am nothing. And I simply sit at your feet. And I drink in the beauty of who you are. And if there was only one day of my life left, I would spend it drinking in your beauty. Oh, that I could just spend every moment at your feet. God, I know that's where you designed me to be. Bring us all to that place. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. We fly open the door of our hearts, and we welcome you here. Come, have your way with each of us. And God, anoint me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your words. Step into these sandals and speak with passion to all of us. Your lambs feed us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And all God's women said, amen. amen. Now let's lift that roof a little higher. Amen. God is a great God. And he loves you deeply, unconditionally. And in the next whatever amount of time it takes, <laughs> long, I don't think, we will unfold this magnificent love of God. Last night, I started part one of the story of God. 
And it was all about the creation, the magnificent, beautiful creation, that pristine landscape, that paradise, and that man and woman that God created in his image, that he created to love. And there was beauty, there was unity, and there was irrepressible joy. And they were created, and they were locked in perfect oneness in paradise, the hearts of humanity and deity. That's how he designed us. But there's more to the story, and there's more to each of your stories. That was the beginning of your story. But every one of your stories has and will take a different turn because of what happened that day. One day, a whisper of temptation slipped into a curious ear and doubt crept in like a cold night mist. As Adam and Eve sank their teeth into the forbidden fruit, Lucifer sank his teeth into their hearts. With a choice of disobedience, the poison of sin darkened their souls and clouded their vision with fear and shame. At that moment, a spear of pain pierced God's heart, and he moaned in anguish as their union shattered. Angels shuddered at the depth of his grief. The two that knew irrepressible joy now hid themselves among the trees in shame. In the cool of the evening, God walked alone through the trees of the garden and he called out to them. He called them by name. He sought them in love not in anger. He sought them in love and he clothed them with compassion. But it was broken. They were banished from the garden and sin and death trailed behind them. Many a night, Eve wept quietly in the dark, longing for paradise in oneness with her creator. Her soft cry fell upon God's heart, and he wrenched in anguish for his child. Now, sin and death trails each of us. You and I, deserve nothing but his wrath. Nothing but his wrath. That's all we deserve. But his heart could not bear to lose you. So the king of glory stepped out of heaven and set out to restore you. He made himself nothing and take took on human flesh to pay your debt. God loved us so much 
that he sacrificed his son to redeem our souls. Jesus bore our sins and he bore the punishment we deserved. Jesus was brutalized beyond recognition and then he was nailed to a cross for your sin and mine. Our sin bearer, the perfect Lamb of God, died. They buried him, and three days later, he rose from the grave. Amen. He died to redeem your soul, and he lives. He rose again, and he lives to live his life inside of you. Amen. Can you imagine that? The Lord of glory, Jesus Christ, Jehovah God, Elohim, the Almighty, has chosen you for his dwelling place. That is beyond what I can grasp. That's why he rose again. Because he was looking for a home in your heart. And he wants to live his life through you. The great tragedy of humanity is our loss of intimacy with God. And our enslavement to sin. And ultimately, our eternal separation from him. But the greatest triumph, when he said, it is finished. It's finished. He did it. He didn't ask you to do it. He loved you that much. The whip was ready to fall on your bare back and rip your back to shreds. And he stepped in and he said, no, my back. He died for you. He loves you that much. I don't get it. But he died. And that is the greatest triumph of all the ages is the death of Jesus Christ to pay your debt. And now we have freedom from the power of sin and we have life abundant and everlasting. Amen! But we're a broken mess without him. Point one. We are a broken mess without him. This is uh, another quote from Dan Allender. Every life is under the curse, a consequence of Adam and Eve's turning from God to embrace the delectable lie of evil. They thrust humanity into the course of sorrow, loss, and harm. It is written into the plot of the earth. Sin is etched on our souls, and it's written in our DNA. Failure, death, loss. We all experience loss. Losses of jobs, loss of health, loss of marriages, loss of children, loss of friends, loss of security, 
That is our stories. That's the fallen nature of humanity. Romans 3.23 says, We have all sinned, every one of us. We were born bad. And as someone said earlier, you can just see it. It doesn't take long. And I, I was trying to get Cora to come to me. <clears throat> and she just wouldn't have me, and she just buried her head in, in her daddy's shoulder. And, and then you'll see her reach for something, and, and Mark will say, no. We just heard that whole thing about pulling the grass, right? They learned. That's who said that. They learned very early. We're just wired. It's in our DNA. In uh, New uh, Living Translation, Romans 7, verses 18 and verses in 24, is kind of um, the storyline and the plot of my life, and I'm sure it's yours too. It was of Paul's. And I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? That was my struggle. That still is my struggle. It is hard to do when you're trying to do what you think you're supposed to be doing. And we fail and we're inconsistent. And I was haunted by that through my teens, through my 20s. I would go to retreats. I would listen in church. I would read my Bible. And I would, I would agonize over what is it that I need to be doing. And just like the rich young ruler that went up to Jesus and said, just tell me what good things should I be doing to inherit eternal life. And Jesus knew what he was thinking, what he was feeling, that it was something he could do. And Jesus made the point that there wasn't anything he could do. But I kept struggling, and I made my list because I am a list maker, and I love checking off my list, and I had the spiritual list of things to do, and you read your Bible, and you pray, and you go to church, and you do all these things. You serve in ministry, and I thought that was how... God would accept me and love me and use me. But it didn't turn out that way. And I found that I could not maintain it. And I wanted to do what was good, and I just couldn't carry it out, like Paul said. And I felt like God was disappointed in me. I remember as a young adult, somewhere in my past, or maybe I invented this myself, there was a picture drawn for me of a ladder and this ladder had God at the top, me at the bottom, Billy Graham a couple of rungs from the top, <laughs> Mother Teresa close at his heels, and there I was trying to climb up, slipping, falling, back down to the bottom, bruised, bloodied, started over again, climb, climb, down to the bottom, bruised, bloodied, pick myself up. I can do this. I can do anything, right? And I kept trying and failing, and I ended up to be quite a mess. Let me illustrate this in a more tangible uh, story. I grew up in town. My friend Debbie grew up on a dairy farm. She grew up 
bouncing across the fields in a pickup truck learning to drive, probably at 10 or something. And I was a city girl and didn't know how to drive pickups in fields. But anyway, um, I was a very good Christian girl, and I wouldn't think of doing anything that was against the law or, you know, that was wrong. And so I was dutifully going to church every Sunday like I should. And um, one Sunday morning, a cool, chilly uh, Sunday morning, uh, Debbie says, uh, well, can you help me go take a load of, I could trim my arbovita, and would you help me take it out to grandpa's uh, place, because he's got a burn pile out there. And I thought, this is Sunday morning. Okay. <laughs> well, grandpa was in church, and so uh, we, we loaded up the pickup with the arbovita, and we headed out. You know, I've got guilt. She has no guilt. And I've got guilt. <laughs> and I do want, for the record, because I believe this has been recorded, for the record... It was not my idea. <laughs> so we get in her pickup truck, and with us loaded up with arbovita, and we go out to Grandpa's place, and oh, there were these cute little little calves, Jersey calves. Heifer's not the right word, is it? Okay, calves. <laughs> I'm just a city girl. Um, <laughs> So there were these cute, they got these big brown eyes, you know, these cute big brown eyes. They're so cute. And anyway, so they're behind this fence that's, um, I don't think it was hot wired, was it? Oh, great. Now you tell me. <laughs> so, you know, got one of these hooks that you stretch and you hook it. And so, let's see. I got out. She said, I'll drive through. You, I, I, I got out and I was in charge of making sure these cute little heifers, uh, sorry, calves, would not get out. And who, you know, how, they were too cute. They surely wouldn't even think of trying to escape. So, <laughs> so anyway, I did my duty and I unlatched it. And so I'm uh, getting back and she drove through and I get back and I latch it again. And so then I go over and we're unloading the arbovita onto the Onto the and the little calves are wandering around watching us with their big brown eyes. And, oh, so cute. and anyway, so so we get it all unloaded, and so we get back in the pickup, and um, the area where her, the burn pile was then it's not anymore, but where it was, there's a little bit of a drop. And now, as I she lives there now, by the way, she bought her grandparents' home, and that's where she lives. And so I have these memories from that day. As I look at that, it's steeper. It is steeper than what you uh, imagined the first time. But anyway, there's this steep thing. And so we were, it was a cool morning, lots of dew. And of course, you know what these little calves do when they eat? Um, there's this excrement, uh, <laughs> little circular things of excrement around the pasture. Cow pies. All right, cow pies. And... Um, uh, anyway, so, you know, I'm kind of making sure I'm not stepping one, but so we're driving out, and I said, I will drive the pickup truck, and we'll drive out, and so uh, she, she got out and unhooked it, and so I am roaring, and I'm going up, and it goes, and sliding, and I can't get up, and I try it again, and I can't get up, and I'm like, oh, fine, I can't drive this pickup truck in this pasture, so I get out, and I say, you do it, and so she says, get out of the way, so I got out of the way. <laughs> Let me in my pickup truck so I can drive this. And so anyway, I, um, she claims that 
she thought I was in charge of the wire that she assumed I would be smart enough to know that I was in charge of the wire to hook it back up when she would drive out. She knew she was perfectly confident in her ability to drive and I was not. And so I felt I needed to step in and offer assistance. And, and so, which by the way is a little peek into how I think that again, I can do anything kind of mentality. And so I thought I could push a pickup uphill. So, <laughs> so I positioned myself behind the right rear tire. Again, she claimed she didn't know. I'm standing there. How could she not see me? Anyway, I'm standing behind. I'm thinking, okay, we're going to get this pickup up the hill. And so she revs it up. And, and I mean, she revs it up. And the tires go, and this stuff just starts flying. And it's flying all over me. And I'm thinking this is hysterical. <laughs> so I'm laughing while she's, I'm still standing, an idiot, I'm standing there, <laughs> this is so funny, and I'm trying to push, <laughs> this stuff's flying, and, and finally she drives, she gets out with my help, of course, and she, she gets out, and finally, and so then she, she turns around and looks at me, and I'm standing there, you know, it's in my hair, because I'm laughing, it's in my teeth. <laughs> and I, it took me a few moments, but I began to smell something. That, <laughs> and I realized it wasn't all mud. <laughs> and while I'm standing there looking pathetic, realizing I have got cow pie all over me, <laughs> that I've got it in my teeth, and I'm standing there kind of laughing because I think it really is funny. And she's like, close the gate! What are you doing? Close the gate! What are you doing? And I'm thinking, those cute little things aren't going to get out. So I think you took charge of the gate. I had to. And so, well, then what would you do next? I opened the car door, the pickup door, and I started to get in. She went for the garden hose. <laughs> and this is like cold morning. I knew that water was going to be ice cold. And I'm like, ah, don't hose me off. <laughs> and so by the grace of God, she couldn't get the water to come on. So I'm peeling off clothes. And I'm, we're trying to get it out of my hair. She's, of course, now by now laughing. What were you doing behind the pickup? Well, I thought I could push it off. actually thought that I could, and that's how my whole life has been. <laughs> and sometimes I really do accomplish a lot. <laughs> Ask Matt. <laughs> but many times I don't, and I end up with a stinking mess all over me. Yes, I actually thought I could move that pickup under my own strength, but the harder I tried, the messier I got. <laughs> you know, dogs don't mind stinking. <laughs> I was walking my dog Kobe one day, and I saw him, I, I was in this big field open area, so I took him off leash. 
And I saw him just kind of run over this one area, and then he just dropped, and he started rolling, and he's rolling, and there was these grunts of ecstasy. Oh, 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 and he's rolling. And he comes back up to me, and I'm like, what? And he, of course, what every good dog does is that he just wanted to get up close to me, so he's just like right up on me, I'm like, ah! And he was a stinking mess. I've got uh, Larson that, although dogs, can, Tony, can you read that? I can hardly see it. Oh, Ginger, you look absolutely stunning. And that, and whatever you rolled in sure does stink. Well, dogs like stink. <laughs> People don't like stink. So, <laughs> God doesn't like stink. <laughs> and when we try to push righteousness up the hill, and we think we can do it ourselves, and we can get up that hill of righteousness in our own effort, it stinks to God. He's like, what you been rolling in, girl? What are you thinking? But I just keep trying. And, and to God, it, it stinks in God's nostrils. And it's kind of nauseating, in fact. That we, to him, especially in light of the cross, that we would begin to even think there was something we could do to gain his favor. It tears out the heart of the gospel, our self-effort, our attempts to live a righteous life, to live the Christian life, is just stinks. It's not a pleasant aroma to God. It is our sacrifice that is a pleasant aroma to God. Our love. We are a broken mess without him. No matter how hard we try, we're simply a broken mess. We all have our brokenness. Some of you are sitting here right now with a freshly broken heart. Some of you are struggling with family who are ill, dying, whose marriages are on the rocks, who have just gone through a divorce, who have just lost their job. You all are in places or have been of brokenness. We are so lost and so broken without him. We can get imprisoned by addictions. We can become intoxicated with busyness. And we get on these treadmills of performance. That is how I'm wired for a treadmill of performance. And I have to constantly let that go and trust God with it. We are broken. And I love the words of John Piper. And he said, we need the greatness and the grandeur of God over our heads like galaxies of hope. We need the unfathomable, crucified, and risen Christ embracing us in love with blood on his face and hands. 
And we need the thousand-mile-deep rock of the Word of God under our feet. That is what we need. We are broken, and without that, we are lost. The heart of the gospel is in Romans 3. I read the first part of Romans 3, but a couple of years ago, a single three-letter word jumped out at me. But well, let me start reading at Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where I camped for a really long time, beating myself up, knowing I fell short, trying to push it up the hill. And then sometime later, the next word, the first word in verse 24 just jumped off the page at me because he didn't finish it there. There is not a period. There's a comma at the end of verse 23. It is the most glorious comma in all the world. And is the first word of verse 24. So not only have we all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. And, yes, we are a broken mess. We have all sinned. We all fall short. Every one of you falls short. You may live in your mind and in the world's standards a perfect, good life and go to hell for it without Jesus Christ because none of us are perfect we have all sinned, and if we say we haven't, we are liars. Because I can look at someone with envy, I can have a sharp tongue, I can say, no God, I don't want to do that, I'm a little busy right now, and we have sinned. There is no degree of sin in God's mind. There is in our society, but not in God's mind. And in his eyes, one little thing pollutes it all and separates us forever from God. There's a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer who was a minister in Germany, a great man, a witness of Jesus Christ, and he was in Germany during the Hitler regime. He was imprisoned in a concentration camp a number of times, in and out. But he was in a concentration camp, and he was executed in 1945, just before the liberation. And he wrote this. The grace of the gospel confronts us with the truth. You are a sinner a great, desperate sinner. Now come, as the sinner you are, to God who loves you. He wants you just as you are. He does not want anything from you. Not a sacrifice or good works. He wants you alone. 
He wants you alone. He wants nothing from you because there is nothing you can generate. It is only Jesus Christ in you, living his life through you, that is acceptable to God. It is God himself in you that makes you acceptable to him. Nothing you do, nothing. That is the gospel. That is the stunning gospel. He says in Proverbs 23, 26, Oh, my son, give me your heart. That's all I want. Let me say it for us here today. Oh, my daughter, give me your heart. That's what he's saying to you right now. Oh, my daughter. It is said with yearning. Do you hear that? It's not give me your heart. It's, oh, my daughter, give me your heart. Why are you trying to push that up the hill? It stinks. It's my righteousness. He says that our righteousness is as filthy rags. Filthy rags. Stinking filthy rags. It is only his righteousness in me that is a sweet aroma and that is acceptable Last fall, um, Denise and Debbie and I came up and met with the camp committee and, and uh, Janet, <clears throat> and we just had a time of talking about what this day would look like, what this weekend would look like. And I began to share what God was pressing on my heart. And it was just a few months before that God just pressed my heart so hard, and he told me, preach the gospel, sister. Preach the gospel. Feed my lambs. Preach the gospel. And I was consumed with the gospel, and I spent the next months preaching the gospel to myself, praying for revival in my heart, praying for revival in your heart, because we have we have all sinned, and our hearts start out black, stony. There's a rock that Janet picked up. Would you show that rock? And in fact, it's right here in my pocket. Bet you didn't think I was going to keep it. While the rest of us were praying, Janet was looking around. <laughs> Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> Janet Hafner, two ends, Janet, and that's Janet. <laughs> By the way, it was a prayer walk that day. And what we did, we started, or did we start? What's that called? Nurse's cabin. And we prayed there for anyone who might need the nurse's cabin. We walked on down to the cabins, and we all spread out, and each one of us stood on the front porch of every cabin. And we prayed for you. We prayed for those who would be in that cabin. And I'll tell you a little story about Janet Glasser. I was one cabin away, and I heard her pour her heart out. I heard her pray for you. 
And she poured her heart out for you. And we all did that. As we went from place to place, we moved up the hill. And we prayed at the, at the dining hall. We prayed outside and we said, they're going to be standing right here. They're going to be standing here in line waiting to eat. And as we were praying and Janet was looking at the ground, she picked up a rock and she said to me later, she says, God wants me to give you this rock. And if you look, it's a heart. It's a heart rock. And she said, keep this. And so I've had this sitting on my desk and I've looked at that. I get up in the morning with God and I have tea with him. And I look at that rock. I have been praying for your hearts. I have been praying for your hearts. We, without God, have black, stony hearts. And I have been praying for those of you who God has not regenerated your heart yet and given you a new heart, that he will give you a new heart this very night. And for those of you that he has given you a new heart and has grown cold, I have been praying that he will set that new heart of yours on flame, ablaze with his love. Ezekiel 36.26 says, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony and stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will give you a new heart, it says in NIV. I will take out your cold, stony, lost heart. Ezekiel 36, 26. And the next slide is what Anna Lee painted when she read a pieces of my uh, book. And the back cover of the book, I said when, when I'm just so excited that she did that. And... Um, I said, I just want you to paint something based on what you read. And then I said, tell me what it means. And she painted the the hands green. God is holding our heart. And the hands are green, and the green is symbolic of everlasting life. And her, her trademark of her paintings is she always uses these little swirly things. And they are symbolic of faith. Faith. Faith saves us. It is by faith we place our trust in Jesus Christ. By faith we are saved. And where is that faith coming from? If you look really close, you can see that it's being blown over the heart from above, from the top left corner. Even faith is nothing we generate. It is a gift of God. Look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. The that's refers to the faith. Of course, grace is not from ourselves. It's obviously bestowed through faith, which isn't from ourselves. It's a gift of God. Pray for faith. Pray for faith to believe. Pray for faith to believe he will set your heart on fire. 
I want to try to encapsulate this extravagant love of God. And I'm going to be giving you some verses. A couple of them are written there in your booklet. And I would encourage you to write references down. And I will give you references and I will read them. And I want you to be able to go back and ponder this great love of God because I cannot, I cannot put words to it. My words don't even come close It is his very words that will describe the love of God. We know that in 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Have you ever stopped to think about that? God made him who knew no sin, who had no sin, to become sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. That's, I heard justification explained one time as when I was much younger, just as if we never sinned. He put all the sin of the world, all of your sin, my sin, on Jesus. And God saw Jesus and treated him just as if he committed every one of those sins. That's what it means that he paid the debt for your sins. He took that stinking, filthy rag that you call self-righteousness and he was crucified for it. God looked upon him just as if he committed every one of our sins and as Jesus hung on that cross bearing those sins, God unleashed the full fury of his wrath upon his only son and he judged and he condemned every one of your sins. That day on the cross, your sins were judged and condemned. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for any of you that receive Jesus Christ. Not now, not ever, ever. You are never going to stand in judgment before Jesus Christ and have your sins judged. Never. Once you accept him, but I'm telling you right now, if you don't accept him, you will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you will go into an eternal darkness without him. But he died to bear that judgment so that you would not bear it. When you stand before him one day, it's not for judgment, it's for reward. It's for reward with what you do with what he has given you what you allow him to do through you. I'm trying to change my language. What you allow him to do through you. That is what you're going to stand before Jesus Christ someday. Is for the rewards. The bema seat is how it is in the Greek. You know what the bema seat of Christ is? The bema seat in the Olympics was where they stood up on the platform and they received their rewards. The bema seat of Christ is where you're going to stand to receive your rewards. 
so that you can take them and you can throw them at his feet in loving adoration. Oh, Lord God, these are from you. These were for you. These were from you. They are yours for eternity. And I will love to lay them at his feet. That is what is ahead for us who have received Jesus Christ. When I was struggling with sin and trying to understand that all have sinned, there was another verse that, I, that just grabbed me, and this is in Colossians. It's Colossians uh, chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 13 through 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with his regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. Now let me read that to you in NLT. You were dead because, I might add stinking dead. You were stinking dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against you and he took it away by nailing it to the cross. There is a record of sin against every human being. And for, th and for those of you that receive him and place your faith in him and you gain his forgiveness, that record is nailed to the cross and it's bloodied and when he died and he said, it's finished, he paid for it all and it was there flapping in the breeze as he died and he said, it's finished, it's paid for, it's canceled, your debt is canceled. Is that not good news, women? Amen! He canceled the debt with his life blood, the precious blood of Christ a lamb. And not only did he pay for them, and you say, but that was a long time ago, and I messed up yesterday, and I'm probably going to mess up tomorrow. He forgave it over 2,000 years ago because he is eternal. He was, there is no time frame on God. He envelops Time. time, he is the first and the last, the beginning and the end. There is no time. So when he died, you had already committed it. Do you understand? You'd already committed it when he died. So don't think, oh, but what if I mess up tomorrow? It happened when he died because he is eternal, all-encompassing. And somehow, in the sovereignty of God, don't ask me to explain this, but somehow in the sovereignty of God, he forgave it and he forgot it. Yes, I can sin today and tomorrow and I can step away from intimacy with him, step out of fellowship and my heart can grow cold, but I am still forgiven. It changes my relationship with him here, but it does not change my standing with him. I am his child. I can never not be his child. Isaiah 43, 25. 
Isaiah 43.25, I, even I am he. He's emphasizing it. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. For his sake, because he died in your place for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. The apex of redeeming love. He redeemed me and he forgave me. He restored me to himself and he said, it is forgotten as far as the east is from the west. I have swept away your sins like the morning mist. Return to me. I have redeemed you, my child. And he sees it as if they never existed. Justification. All of your sin was piled on him and, and God the Father treated his son just as if he committed it so that you could bear his righteousness and God would look at you just as if you never, ever committed it. Like it never happened. I don't get that. I don't get that. I don't get that. It's irrational. And he, if you could see him, he's here. If you could see him, if he made himself visible to us, you would see him walking right up beside you right now in the chair where you're sitting and he would whisper this to you, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Jeremiah 31.3 I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. Loving kindness. He is not here to lash us, whip us, beat us. We do a good enough job of that ourselves. I'm getting better, but I used to be terrible at that. I would beat myself up for my failures. After I would speak or teach or whatever I would do, I'd sit in that chair and I would beat myself up for what I didn't say or I said or whatever. And God is slowly healing me from that. Because you know what? This is not me you're listening to. It is not me you're listening to. And I've given it to him. And when I sit down, I've given it to him. He is trying to tell you something tonight. Desperately trying to tell you something. His love is everlasting. I have loved you with an everlasting love. It has no end. It never changes. It never diminishes, even to the slightest degree. You see these little fake flames? <laughs> they are emulating the real thing. And it flickers and changes. It dims and it brightens. And that's the nature of a flame. And God says, my love never changes Never changes, never grows dim. He doesn't get bored with you, although we can be quite boring at times. He does not get bored with you. He doesn't, oh, you again. Are you doing it again? No, no, no. 
He loves you with everlasting love. He treats you with loving kindness. And I love this verse. This is one of my favorite verses. It's in the Song of Songs 7.10. The Song of Songs, or also known as the Song of Solomon 7.10. Yes, it's a love letter between a husband and a wife. It is an intimate love letter. But there is also the analogy of Jesus Christ with his bride. And he says this, I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. I belong to my beloved Jesus Christ. He is my beloved. He is the lover of my soul. I am his and his desire is for me. I want you to say that with me right now. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. And do you know what the picture is of that desire? When I love digging into the Hebrew and the Greek meanings of words. And so I dig and I, and I went, whoa. Because the word desire means a full stretch extension of longing. That is what he is doing right now. He is fully extending every fiber of his being towards you, reaching towards you, longing for you to just reach back. He took every step. And because he didn't want a robot, he didn't want a puppet, he wanted to be chosen. He is waiting and his sovereignty stops at the end of his fingers in your life. And he just says, touch it, just touch it. And he will sweep you up in his love. It is your choice. Take it or leave it. It's your choice. He created you to choose him or not. That kind of love is irrational, unreasonable. You can walk away tonight and leave him. Don't think you can leave him because he will be on your heels there is an old poem called The Hound of Heaven. And there was a time when I read that poem and my heart was breaking and aching for God to just love me. And I just felt like I wasn't because I was covered with you know what? Stinking mess. And I just thought, God, I'm a stinking mess. How can you ever love me? How can you accept me like this? I keep trying to clean myself up and I can't. And my heart was breaking. I was unraveling in the middle of a marriage unraveling. Spiritually, I was unraveling, and I was going down for the last count. And I remember saying, I cannot do it anymore. Well, that's for tomorrow morning. I won't go there. Anyway, uh, my pastor gave me that poem, The Hound of Heaven. And he, you can, you can run from him, and you can run around the corridor, the corners of the corridors of your soul, and there's those footsteps pounding behind you. He will pursue you relentlessly. You know what that's like. He will not let you rest until he has your soul. And I can wallow around in a pigsty, 
and I can be a complete mess, and by my choice, I can, I can walk away from him. I can wander from him and wander into sin and live in that sty. And as soon as I realize, oh man, I'm in a sty, I'm in a stinking mess, and I can't even, I got to eat pig's food. This is ridiculous. And you finally come to your senses and you say, there's got to be more to life than this. And as soon as you turn, which is repentance. Repentance is turning away from that sin. And as soon as you turn, you will see your heavenly father hike up his robe in an undignified manner and run like crazy with his arms open wide. And he will not say, what were you thinking? He will say, oh my daughter, you have turned. I have been longing and waiting. Let's throw a party. How can he love us like that? His love for us is deeper and more tender than we can begin to imagine. Zephaniah 3.17. There you are. Sarah texted me the other day, Zephaniah 3.17, and I thought, I've got to use that. Let's read that. By the way, Zephaniah... I got to it so fast because I cheated and I put a marker here. Zephaniah is the fourth book from the end of the Old Testament. Zephaniah 3.17. You gotta camp on this verse. You gotta think about this verse. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you even when you're a stinking mess. He will say, well, you're a stinking mess, but he'll still love you just the same. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Again, as I dug into that word, rejoice over you with singing, do you know what it is? It is a happy dance. It literally means to leap and jump and dance for joy. Now picture God singing and dancing over you. He delights in you so extremely, so extravagantly that he leaps for joy. He leaps and he dances a happy dance because you're his. You're his. Even as a stinking mess, you're still his stinking mess. And he just wants to clean you up. And he's willing to take off his robe and sit at your feet and clean you up. His love is higher than the highest heavens. It reaches beyond the farthest star and into the deepest pit of our sin. Now multiply that by infinity and take it to the depth of forever. And you will just barely begin to glimpse the extravagant love of God. The prayers of Catherine of Siena. Oh, unutterable love. Even though you saw all the evils your creatures would commit against your infinite goodness, you acted as if you did not see and set your eye only on the beauty of your creature with whom you had fallen in love like one drunk and crazy with love. You are the fire, nothing but a fire of love, crazy over what 
you have made. That love is staggering. It is shocking. It is numbing. It is mind-bending. That kind of love. It is a furious, desperate longing that was willing to be brutalized and his back shredded with a whip and his hands and feet nailed through for you because that's what your sin deserved. His love is unshakable and tenacious. Even after 10,000 offenses, I love this quote, I got it from somewhere, even after 10,000 offenses, even still he loves you as deeply as ever. You will never exhaust the depths of his love if you walk away, if you are a believer and you walk away and you never love him again, he will still love you the same. That's called unconditional love. You can do nothing to captivate his love, right? You get that? You can do nothing to captivate his love. What's on the flip side? Therefore, you can do nothing to lose his love. You didn't do anything to gain it. You didn't buy it. You did nothing to earn it. And you can do nothing to lose it. Romans 8, 38 through 39. Let me read it in the New Living Translation. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's that one word that I kept saying? Nothing. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Nothing can ever separate you. Not your past, not your future. No matter how terrible, horrible it was or will be, nothing can separate you. Nothing will ever change his love for you. Because 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. Right? God is love. Our love is a response, right? You love as a re in response. Unconditional love is pretty hard for a human being. Our love is a response, and yet God's love is his very essence. It's not a response to what you do or don't do. It is because he is love. He can't not love you. He simply is love. And when you believe, he burns the seal of his Holy Spirit into your soul. Look at Ephesians 1, 14. This is a great verse. If ever you're tormented with thoughts of, but what if I do something really bad? 
Is God still going to love me? What if I do something really bad and I'm killed in the next instant? What about that? Well, here's what about that. Having believed, when you believe, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, having believed, you are marked in him with a seal. And it's a seal of ownership, by the way. Sort of like you farmer types brand your cattle. Not that we're cattle, but, you know. Sheep, I guess, is what we are. Do they brand sheep? Okay. Having believed, let me start over. I got off track. Having believed, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Amen. He sealed you. You can be breaking the law by speeding. You can be cursing whatever at the moment and crash and die instantly And you'll, as long as you're a believer. And you will find yourself standing before God saying, Welcome home, child. I paid for that sin all those many years ago. As, and you are as if you never committed it because I was condemned and executed for it. There's nothing you can possibly do to make him love you more, and there's nothing you can possibly do to make him love you less. John 10, 28 says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never, ever perish It wouldn't be eternal life, everlasting life, if you could ever lose it, would it? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. There's nothing you can do to lose it. Whoever comes to him, he says, I will never ever cast out. My dad told me one time when he was struggling with, you know, can I lose it? Can I lose it? And he said, God gave me that verse in John 6, 36. Whoever comes to me, I will never, no matter what you do, I will never cast you out. I will never let you go. No power can ever pry you loose from the almighty hands of God. There is nothing more important this night Nothing more important than the destiny of your soul. There's nothing more urgent than being right with God in this moment. You do not know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I'm not here to scare you. I'm not here to do that whole trip. I'm here simply to say, God loves you deeply. And he died to redeem your soul. And he's waiting for you to accept that. Don't go out into the night without him. And for those of you who know him and you're sitting here and you have been plagued with struggles and your heart is cold and you want that fire again, I have been learning that that is a gift of faith. It's not something I generate. I can't 
do the, what do they call those things, the billows or whatever, and try to fan my own heart into flame. It is God who fans it into flame. And I just say, okay, God, fan into flame this gift you've given me. I want to invite you to accept Jesus Christ into your heart. I want to invite you to make him Lord of your life, to say this day, this day, this day shall not pass until I have invited Jesus Christ into my life. This day shall not pass until I say, Lord Jesus, I'm yours. I've been away. And I want you to fan that flame back. Make it ablaze with your love. Embrace his forgiveness. Accept it. We're going to pray. And I want to lead you in two prayers. I want to lead you into a prayer of faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to lead you into a prayer of revival. And please... Women of faith, pray. The enemy must be held at bay. This is a sacred moment. Let God have his way in our hearts. We welcome you here, Lord Jesus. Have your way among us. Pray that God will have his way among us and the enemy will be at bay because he does not want you to take that step of faith. There are a lot of you that he tried to keep from even getting here. Accept Jesus Christ into your life. I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray these prayers. And after that, Airborne is going to come and we're going to sing. And while you're singing, I want you to drive a stake of faith. Yes, if you pray to receive Jesus Christ, At that moment, you are saved for eternity and nothing will pry you loose from the hand of God. But there is something about making that a public declaration. And I'm not asking you to take the microphone and stand up here and say, I'm saved. That would be great. I'd love for you to do that. I have been redeemed. I have been redeemed. And I am in love with Jesus Christ with all of my heart and soul. Amen. Amen. Pray, women. Please pray. And as Airborne is singing, I want you to come up. And if you've made a decision to accept Jesus Christ, I want you to come up and stand and pray as a testimony that I belong to Jesus Christ. And if you know that you've been away from him and you want to pray for revival in your heart, you come too. And there's this little pile of rocks at the base of the cross you might want to take one because this could be the most significant night of your life and you never want to forget what God has done in your heart. Let's pray. God, first I just am amazed at your love for me. I love you with all my heart. I am yours. I am yours to do with as you will. Take my life. 
Every day, every morning I get up and I just say, Lord, take my life. I'm yours. Right now on this platform, I say, oh God, I'm yours. I'm yours. Take my life. If you're sitting there and you want to receive Jesus Christ into your heart, then you pray this. And you can pray it into the silence of your heart or you can pray it out loud. Oh, Lord Jesus, say these words in your heart as I say them. Oh, Lord Jesus, I know I have sinned. I know I am lost without you. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I open my heart, come into my heart, cleanse me. I turn from my sin and I'm asking you to be Lord of my life. I'm yours. And for those of you who want to renew and recommit to giving that life of yours to him, then you pray this. Oh, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. I am so lost without you. Take my life. I am all yours. I am your daughter. I love you. Set my heart ablaze and use me as you will. I am yours forever.